So I would like to ask you, if you would, um, to open your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 17. We're going to be in a lot of passages, but 17 is a chunk of scripture we're going to read, and there will be a Bible app event for that that makes it a little easier. If you're on uh, uh, the Bible app, you can look for an event near you and find Kerwinsville Alliance. You could follow along with others who are on there. Kerwinsville Christian Church is on there, and he's a good preacher. Maybe follow his notes. It'll turn out better for you. But uh, no, you'll want to follow uh, wherever you are, I'm sure, right? So I'm going to say two words, ready? Burned out. And you're probably thinking to yourself, that might be some of the most overused, tired two words that I've ever heard. Because we use that phrase an awful lot, probably because we feel that way an awful lot. It describes kind of our lives. People say, I'm burned out at work. I'm burned out at at, at filing taxes. I am burned out with my family. I am burned out with people. Burned out with people. Have you ever become burned out with people? I'll be real honest with you. Sometimes people can be just flat exhausting, right? Even people you like, even people who are pleasant. Sometimes you just need a little break from them, right? But I find it even more exhausting to deal with people who are ugly. Now, I'm not talking about their physical appearance at all. So those of you that were kind of looking like, is he talking about me? (laughs) Not at all. None of you are physically ugly. And as far as I know, none of you are ugly in the second way, behaviorally ugly. But have you been around people who their behavior is just plain unattractive and unappealing? Have you been around people who when you see them coming, if you're with a couple other people standing together, you're kind of like, oh, I wish I wasn't in this group. Is there any way to get out of here? Being around people who are that kind of ugly, that can be exhausting. This week I went back and I watched Stephen King's movie, The Green Mile. I'd like to see how many of you have seen that movie. Put your hand up. Great. Yeah, I would say probably 40% of you had your hands up there. Um, It's a long movie. I didn't realize it's over three hours long, and I usually won't give a movie that much of my time. But it's a great movie. It's a vulgar movie, I have to say that. Um, But the vulgarity is there to portray the evil that is being addressed. And so that's why it is what it is. You might want to catch it on network television. Uh, if you want a different version. The reason I went back and watched it again this week was because of one scene. And my guess is that some of you already know which scene I'm talking about. It's it's a scene where John Coffey is speaking uh, to the man there in the prison on death row who's going to eventually give the order to execute him. He says these words. He says, I'm tired, boss. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of the pain I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Ugliness. It abounds in our world. And as you find yourself exposed to it, it can burn you out. Christ followers don't want to be part of the ugliness. We want to be people who create beauty, not ugliness. We want to be those whose words are refreshing, not tiring. We want to be people whose presence lights up the room with the light of Jesus, not agents of darkness. We want to be people who are gentle like Jesus, not destructive like the enemy. In short, we want to be Christ-like. That's our desire. Not to be part of the problem, but to be part of 
Christ's solution. And Jesus says we are. Jesus says we're the light of the world. But he says this, don't hide that under a bushel, (laughs) right? No. If we're going to be the light of the world, then personally, we will have to put away darkness. We will have to be separated from evil and committed to Christ. We'll have to be sanctified. And that's what that word means. Sanctified means separated from evil and dedicated to God, dedicated to Christ. Well, the good news is that Jesus is our savior, our healer, our coming king, and our sanctifier. And in this passage, John 17, he's actually praying that you and I could make a difference in a very dark world. He's praying that we would be light. Just follow along as we read these five verses, starting at verse 15. He says, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctify them by truth, he says. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, why a sermon on sanctification? And some of you that have been paying attention are saying, well, he's preaching the Alliance fourfold gospel, Jesus our Savior, sanctifier, healer, and coming king. Pastor Steve's just preaching a sermon on sanctification because it's time for that sermon. Yeah, (laughs) but more than that, I'm preaching this sermon on sanctification because I'm hungry. We are hungry. A few years ago, a band called Sonic Flood had a song. We sang it in this church, Holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. It's a generation's great cry of hunger for sanctification. About 100 years earlier, a song appeared talking about that same kind of hunger. It was by the founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance, Dr. Albert Benjamin Simpson. I want to be holy. I want to read to you, not just once, I'll read this again before we're out of here. I want to read to you the last verse of that that hymn. Listen to it. I want to be patient and quiet, long-suffering, loving and kind, as quick to acknowledge my failures as I, to and others, am blind. I want to be quiet and peaceful, though tempest around me may roll, the stillness of Jesus within me, possessing and filling my soul. I long, oh, I long to be holy, conform to his will and his word. I want to be gentle and Christ-like. I want to be just like my Lord. That's what I want. Oh God, how I want that. I'm addressing this issue because we are hungry for sanctification. There are other reasons. I'm addressing this issue because it's available. Someone posted online recently, I don't have ducks, I don't have a row, I have squirrels, and they are at a rave. Yeah, (laughs) I like that, right? That's pretty much my life sometimes. One, One might feel that way even spiritually. I don't have my spiritual ducks in a row. You might feel, even as a Christ follower, you might feel like I just can never get my act together. I'm here to tell you, you can. No matter what has happened in your past, I am here this morning to tell you, you can. You can begin to get your spiritual ducks in a row. Jesus prayed that you could. 
It was right there in verse 17 when he says to the Father, sanctify them by truth, thy word is truth. Jesus prayed that you would be sanctified, separated from evil, dedicated to God, separated from sin, dedicated to his goodness. I'm giving this sermon on sanctification because it's available. And I'm giving this sermon on sanctification because, frankly, it's undervalued. Think of the time that people spend on things apart from their walk with Jesus. I mean, we all do it. We take care of our possessions, our car. We jockey for position in, in social settings. We work to advance in our job and the workplace. We look, make sure we have a, a picture-perfect family, and we make sure that we look good on the outside, and we look for respect from our peers, and I don't want to play the fool, so how can I get that respect? But honestly, those are really small things. Those are really small things compared to our own personal holiness, compared to what's inside. Being dedicated to God is way more valuable than having a mansion on a hill. It's more rewarding than a good job, than beautiful children, than respected peers, than the honor of kings. Think of the words that Simpson wrote again. I want to be quiet and peaceful. Though tempests around me may roll, the stillness of Jesus within me possessing and filling my soul. Too often, (laughs) People think of holiness, personal holiness, as being a burden to bear. What if it's not? (laughs) What if living a life set apart for God doesn't add burden, but actually relieve your burden? What if our struggle to find peace of mind and our culture's epidemic anxiety are connected to our society's disinterest in personal holiness? What if there's a connection there? What if living for him is really what does bring peace? Yeah, I believe sanctification is undervalued. And I'm giving this message on sanctification because God wants you, he wants to give you sanctification. Look at the words on the screen on that right-hand side because God wants to give it to us. The phrasing is important there. It doesn't say God demands holiness from us. It says God wants to give holiness to us. I love Sonic Flood. I love that song. Holiness is what I long for. They have a line in there, though, that you might misunderstand if you took it out of context. Holiness is what you want from me. Indeed, he does. But what he wants is a holiness he gives you to be given back. Because frankly, my pockets are just flat empty when it comes to personal holiness. I got nothing to give you, God. I got none of my own. The only holiness I have is what you have given me. And then as I live a life that honors him, as I live a life where I'm following him, that holiness he has given me flows out of me as a gift back to him. That's what he wants. He wants to give you holiness. Sanctification is a gift. Dr. Simpson Founder, founder of the Alliance. And I don't normally, you know, I'm looking, some of you are kind of new here, you know, and you're like, that guy sure preaches a lot about the Alliance, guys. It's just a series I'm in, okay? And I said last week, Dr. Simpson would probably be ticked off if he knew how much I was quoting him and not quoting the Apostle Paul, right? But Dr. Simpson said it so well. He said this, sanctification is, sanctification is the obtainment of faith, not the attainment of works. It is divine holiness, not human self-improvement or perfection. 
It is the inflow into man's being of life and purity of the infinite, eternal, holy one. It is the bringing in of God's own perfection and the working out of his will. The Bible says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God wants to give you sanctification. He wants to sanctify you and me. He wants to work his holiness into us and through us and out of us. He wants to give us holiness. I'm speaking of sanctification because Christ is the one who provides it. It has always bothered me when Christians criticize the world for being worldly. Look how worldly they are. (laughs) What do you want them to be? Or they criticize the lost for being lost. They are just so lost. How else would you expect them to be? But when a person turns his or her heart to Christ, the spirit comes and lives within. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own, says the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6.19. And as he lives in you, the spirit imparts his holiness to you. And he lives his holy life through you. I'm presenting this message on holiness because Christ provides it and because the world needs it. Wow, does the world need it. And lucky for them, as Jesus would note in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light shine before men. And the world needs our light. Listen, though. The world does not need our condemnation. Leave judging to the judge of all the earth. He'll take care of that. Jesus says in John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And in the very next verse, he said, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world nor did he send you and I to condemn the world. We are here to shine the beautiful light of Christ to a world that desperately needs it. Now look, I can see beauty in this world. (laughs) I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. But you really can't help but see the ugly in the world too. And if you look closely, you will know that this world is starving for holiness. You will know that this world is screaming out of the darkness for light, that it is looking for sanctification. And those of us who follow Christ, what if we don't show it? What if we don't show the beauty of Christ and his grace and his love? What if we're just as ugly as the darkness of this world. And buddy, if they can give it to me, I'm going to give it back to them. What if we're that person? What hope is there for the ugliness of this world? You see, for Christ followers, sanctification isn't an option. It is imperative and essential. So I want to talk to you a little bit about different aspects, perspectives on sanctification. And to me, the concept of sanctification is 
kind of like the parable about the blind men from Indostan. How many know that parable? Have heard that parable? Anyone? Have you heard that parable? Wow, a couple of us, right? All right, here it goes. Ready? <laughs> it was six men of Indostan to learning much inclined who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl, God bless me, but the elephant is nothing but a wall. The second, feeling of the tusk, cried, Oh, what have we here? So round and smooth and sharp, tis me, to me tis mighty clear, the wonder of the elephant is very like a spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake. Yeah, right. I don't have to go on, do I? Because you get the point of the poem that sometimes when we look at something from one perspective or another, we kind of miss the fuller picture. And I really don't think anyone has the full picture of salvation or sanctification for that matter. But I want to show you a couple different aspects of sanctification that I think are important for us to know. And the first is this. The sanctification is a status. By that I mean it's a state of being. It's made real at the moment of conversion. When you opened your heart and said, God, I want to turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died for me. I will trust his death to pay for my sins. At that moment of conversion, you experience this change of state or change in position. And theologians call it positional sanctification. Your status before God changed from unsanctified to sanctified, from unholy to holy. And he saw you, he sees you now as though you're holy. And we get that concept in passages like Ephesians 2, 6. It says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heaven, in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. I'm not physically sitting in heaven right now. Neither are you. But spiritually and positionally, we are seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus. It is our status that has changed. And spiritually speaking, we're with Christ. An awareness of that can kind of give you a sense of, wow, maybe I can be light in this world. Maybe I can be one who has an influence for godliness in this world. From another perspective, sanctification is a condition. Like when you talk about someone who's in the hospital, we say he's in critical condition. Oh, he's in stable condition. There is a condition that we would call sanctified and a condition that we would call not quite so sanctified. I think of the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the church in Corinth and they're divided. They're fighting over petty issues over, and, and, and he's rebuking their behavior. He, he probably would say, you know, you're, you're not really looking real sanctified today. Their status hasn't changed before God, but their condition is pretty run down, spiritually speaking. They're divided, they're argumentative, they're condemning, they're petty. Thank God you and I are never that way, right? <laughs> In my experience through the years, so many, some, some well-meaning Christians have kind of given the wrong perspective on what the sanctified condition looks like. I've been with people, in fact, I was with someone this week who judged sanctification on music, even the kinds of instruments you use. Well, you're using those kind of instruments, you're not holy, you can't be. Yeah, wait till they see us on Easter Sunday with those instruments in those kids' hands, right? <laughs> right? They judge sanctification or holiness on how a person dressed in terms of propriety and modesty. And they judge sanctification on, well, those kinds of things. And they kind of wore it like a badge. Yeah. 
I don't sing that kind of music, and I don't dress that way. You know what that is? In social media, that's called virtue signaling. That's what we call that in social media. Signaling, look how virtuous I am. And it's exactly what Pharisees did, and it made Jesus want to it made Jesus want to puke. <laughs> I can think I can say that authoritatively. You know, I, I think of the words of Dr. Simpson that I read earlier. I told you I'm going to read these again, right? And he's defining the condition of sanctification. Listen to these words again. He says, I want to be patient and gentle. That's what it means to be sanctified. Long-suffering, loving, kind, that's what it means to be sanctified. I want to be quick to acknowledge my failures, as quick to acknowledge those as I to another Failure and blind. That's what it means to be sanctified. I want to be quiet and peaceful. I want to be still. The stillness of Jesus within me, possessing and filling my soul. In my estimation, that's probably as good a picture of sanctification as I could possibly hope to present to anyone. The sanctified life. Long-suffering, patient, peaceful. It's the fruit of the Spirit, you know. When it comes to this condition that you're in, you really need to realize a couple of things about it. First, you have to understand that sanctification is a process. It's a process of change and a process of growth. Christians often say this, I'm just a work in progress. And some of us are more of a piece of work than others, right? Yeah. Paul speaks of this in Philippians 3 when he says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So if anyone ever tells you they've arrived, they're saying, I'm better than the Apostle Paul. None of us have ever arrived. None of us have ever become perfect, and in this life you won't. It's a process of change and growth, and almost everyone acknowledges that. In the Christian and Missionary Alliance, we also acknowledge that it's a step, and it's Matt McCracken who gave me this word. I want you to know, Matt, that uh, in the national office, they use your phrase from time to time. I was, I, was in a, and I was in a Zoom meeting with about, I don't know, 80 pastors, 60 pastors, and the president of the Alliance was there. They're rephrasing some of our statement of faith, and one of them said, somebody said a watershed event. That came out of one of our districts. That came out of Matt McCracken's mouth right here at Kermansville Alliance. So, yeah, Matt, that's your claim to fame, baby. You can hang on to that, a watershed event, a step in your life. Sanctification is that. And what might be the most theologically detailed Bible, or book in the Bible, rather? Let me say it again. And what might be the most theologically detailed book in the Bible? God sums up what being saved is and what Christ has done for us in 11 chapters. And then in the very next chapter, he has the word therefore. And if you're in men's group on Thursday night, you know that when you see a therefore or a wherefore, check and see what it's there for. What it's there for is say, in light of what God has done here, this is how your life should be. And I can't believe you read this in the onset of the service. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So for a lot of people, this is kind of how it pans out. You're a Christ follower. You received Christ maybe when you were a child or maybe just three years ago. And and you've been working to follow him. And along the road, you find out this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. 
You know, I kind of thought I'd be in right out, right up, right down, right happy all the time, but that is not happening for me. And you begin to get a little bit weary of struggling and stumbling in your Christian life. And you get kind of feeling pathetic that you're repenting over and over and over again. And this is not what you wanted. This is not what you hunger for. You wanted a higher life, a Christ-like life. So step forward. Step forward. Offer yourself in surrender before God as a living sacrifice. Step into the Christ life. But as you do that, understand this. It's a gift. The phrasing is, you were satisfied. Christ sanctified. You were sanctified. Christ took hold of your sanctification for you so you can have it as a gift. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the scripture is talking about some people who do some bad things. And in verse 11, just to keep the reader in, in, in his proper place, it says, and that's what some of you were. <laughs> you were bad too. But, verse 11 says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Did you wash yourself? No, he did it. Did you justify yourself? No, through his death on the cross, he did it. Will you sanctify yourself? No, (laughs) by his death on the cross, he purchased your sanctification. And it is not something that you work really hard to attain. It is something that you obtain. When you surrender your heart to God, he does something supernaturally amazing in it. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And your condition, how you really are, begins to rise to meet your position, who you really are in Christ. One of the most important aspects of sanctification And one that generally I haven't talked about in the past when I preached on this, nor have I heard people talk about this aspect of sanctification, but it's really important, is to understand that it is a walk. It is a walk. We all want a quick fix. I mean, we all want to just, can I just go up to the altar and, you know, you pray for me and that'll fix me and then I won't have to do this, you know? Can I just go to the doctor? Can you just give me a Band-Aid or a shot for this? Is that a... My marriage, isn't there something I can just say to her to make her love me more? Isn't there a quick fix for this? We always want a quick fix, but life doesn't work in a quick fix. I believe sanctification is a process. I believe it is a step. I believe it also is a walk. Modern translations often substitute, when they come upon the Greek word for walk, they often substitute words like live there. So they'll substitute maybe the word... um, Well, let me give you an example. I'm going to read to you Colossians 4, 5. I'm going to read it from the ESV because they don't make the substitution. Colossians 4, 5 in the ESV says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Now, the NIV replaces the word walk with act, which works. Act in wisdom toward outsiders. And the New Living Translation replaces the word walk with live. Live with wisdom. I like that. The New American Standard says conduct yourself with wisdom. All of them are taking the word walk out of there. And I'm good with that. I'm not bashing Bible translations. I think that is unbecoming. And I think it's just wrong to do that. But, but I really like the word walk. <laughs> I really like the word walk. Because walk tells you it's not a quick fix. That you need to come to the altar of your heart and talk to God and take the step. But after that, there's a journey in front of you. 
And you need to walk that journey. How do I do that? I mean, I feel like I've gotten off track, Pastor Steve. How do I enter the walk? My life was going pretty smooth a few years ago. You should have seen me at Mahaffey Camp or at that whatever. How do I get back on track with my walk? Let me say this. I don't know if I can help you with the first thing. You got to be hungry. You got to be hungry. You will not experience the sanctifying presence or power of Christ if you are not interested in it. Listen to this sentence. If you are satisfied with a bland, mundane, lethargic Christian faith, that is exactly what you will have. Exactly what you will have. And I can't change your desire. Well, I wish I could, right? But I can tell you this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And if you're hungry for it, it's there for you. I can offer you maybe a suggestion. Let me offer you a suggestion. When I was a a young pastor, I was for 10 years the student pastor at the University of Pittsburgh at Bradford. And that was a great ministry. I loved doing that kind of ministry. You know, I used to try to dress trendy. This is back before flat bills were in. You had to have the curved bills. And I was great at curving the bill of my hat, right? Levi's jeans, nothing else would do. You know, I had, because I wanted to connect with the teens. I wanted to be that guy. It's hard for you to imagine your pastor not being a nerd, isn't it? Yeah. But there was this guy. His name was Reverend Dan Hines. He had to be in his 70s, retired Wesleyan guy. He was the kindest, gentlest, most sanctified guy at that table. And he wore a sports coat with pants. He dressed a lot like I'm dressed right now. (laughs) You know? And his tie was kind of like, maybe tied like this. And he was smart. But he wasn't trendy and he wasn't cool. And he said to me one day, he said, hey, I think I'm going to get off of this committee. It was a committee of pastors and faculty. He said, I think I'm going to get off. Don't you dare. Because, buddy, you bring something to this table that none of us have. You know what he brought? Personal holiness. Personal holiness. Take a look. Here's my advice. You don't feel real hungry for this? Take a look at people that you know have it and say, do I want to be like that? And then for a moment, don't stare deeply into the void, but take a good close look at people you know who don't have it and say, is that really where I want to be? Is that who I want to be? And maybe through that, God can do in you what he did to 28-year-old Steve Shields sitting there with Dr. Hines and stir up within you the hunger to enter the Christ life. You have to have that desire. Second, if you want this life, you need to see it as a gift from God. I've mentioned this story time and time again because I love this story. There's the guy. He wants, he wants to get right with God. He's trying to square it away. He actually, he's hungering for sanctification and personal holiness. So he comes to the altar and two elders come to counsel him. The guy on the right is saying, hold on, brother, hold on. And the guy on the left is saying, let it go, brother, let it go. And what's he supposed to do? What's he supposed to do? Both. The answer is both. Hold on to that hunger and hold on to Jesus. 
And don't let this moment pass. Don't let this time go by. Hold on, but let go of your selfishness, of your self-sufficiency, of this sinful belief that you can live the Christian life without living closely to Christ himself. And that's right, it is sinful. It's a self, in a self-righteous kind of way. It is sinful to think that you can live a holy life in your own strength. So repent of that. And open your heart to receive Christ's holiness. Open your heart to receive Christ your sanctifier. It's almost in a way, Dr. Simpson said, it's almost like very similar, a parallel almost to receiving Christ as your savior. You're saying when you get saved, you say, Jesus, I know I've sinned. Please forgive me for that. I trust that when you died on the cross, you paid for my sin. Please save me. When you're sanctified, it's not a lot different than that. Jesus, I can't live this Christian life like I thought I could. I need you to do this. Please forgive me for ever thinking I could do this in my own strength. I was not only stupid in thinking that, I was sinful in thinking that. I receive, surrendering to your sanctifying power, I receive Christ, my sanctifier, to live through me. And then, let Christ's beautiful light shine from you. Show his beauty. Give his encouragement. Offer his refreshment. Pour out his love. Embody his kindness. Act with gentleness. And when there's a group of people hanging out together and you happen upon them, they won't be like, there's that idiot. They'll be like, yeah, this person has a Dan Hines quality about them that even though his tie isn't straight, that's someone that brings light to this world. It's one of my favorite movie quotes of all time. I'm tired, boss. Mostly I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. I'm tired of all the pain that I feel and hear in the world every day. There's too much of it. It's like pieces of glass in my head all the time. Tired of people being ugly. You'd almost think that John Coffey had spent too much time on Facebook when he comes up with that statement, right? (laughs) Man, oh, beloved. Don't be part of the ugliness. I want to pray for you that you would receive the sanctifying presence and power of Christ. And as you walk where he places you, people will see it. But I can't just pray this for you and it happen. You have to have a mindset where you have decided in your heart that you, you are hungry for this and that God has it for you and you're willing to receive it. So if you are, we'll pray to that end. Let's all stand together, shall we? Let's bow our hearts in prayer. Lord Jesus, we would ask you to fill us with your spirit. That the spirit of Christ would dwell in us completely and fully. We want to show your beauty. We want to be encouraging. We repent of trying to do this on our own and showing more ugliness than we intended and being a little critical instead.
We want to be people whose words are refreshing and loving, inspired in a sense of being filled with the Spirit, our words. We want to be people whose presence lights up the room, not because we have some kind of manufactured personality and human charisma, but we want to light up the room with the light of Christ Jesus, with your gracious presence, Christ, with your kindness. We want to be known as people who are safe and gentle, approachable, helpful, loving. Make us people who reflect the very nature of Jesus, Christ-like. For Jesus, this is our prayer this morning. Amen.